Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hello, you're listening to the Retro Hour, episode 14, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news, views and interviews. I'm Ravi Abbott. And I'm Dan Wood, and here we are into the month of April already. Oh, it's madness, and (laughs) we've got some madness going on in April, haven't we, Dan? We have. Well, uh, this is actually going to be one of our busiest months now that we're kind of getting into the uh, the summer season, as it were. Um, Plenty of events coming up, starting. um, There's an event for the Amiga Heads coming up at the end of this month in London, um, celebrating Amiga Power magazine. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, organised by The Guardian, Guardian Mm -hmm. Gaming. We've talked about it before, and Um, uh, it's on the 21st of April. Yeah, it's on a Thursday evening, isn't it, in London. Um, All the information on our website if you want to uh, come along, but Ravi and I are going to be there. Yeah, Um, it should be good, a 90-minute talk by all the... uh, Amiga old school journalist, you well, know. Amiga Power was always kind of the, the rebellious magazine, wasn't it? So, yeah, the uh, cheeky one. Yeah, interesting to see who turned up, turns up for that one, I think, and uh, who's going to be on stage. Then after that, of course, the big one at the end of the month. Oh, yeah, we've got Play Blackpool. Now, yeah. we've been to Play Manchester before, mm-hmm. but we've never been to Blackpool. And we hear Blackpool's more of a kind of community thing. I haven't been to Blackpool since I was about seven years old. Yeah, we're going to get some rock and uh, look at the <laughs> illuminations and stuff. Those sandcastles. Yeah, it'll be good. <laughs> so uh, that's coming up. I think it's fair to say play is probably the biggest retro event of the year, isn't it? Yeah, and RGDS have invited us for a nice little meet-up with uh, the other podcast guys. Yeah, so uh, Andy got in touch with us from uh, RGDS, and uh, apparently they do this little thing every year where they get all of the uh, the podcast UK podcast uh, guys together, like Ten Pence Arcade are there, Maximum Power Up, the Dreamcast Junkyard, and they all get together and kind of do this big like meet up and record. Yeah, there's together, some so. retro asylum guys there as yeah, well, so it should be good. That's been the new kids on the block, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, fellow podcastees. <laughs> now, the way the show works, if you are new to it, um, every week Ravi and I run through the big technology and uh, retro gaming stories of the week for about half an hour. Yeah. And then we have uh, an interesting guest who is noteworthy from the history of computing and gaming, and you've got a good one lined up this week. Yeah, Jim Bagley. So Jim Bagley has done coding for over 23 years, so he started on the 8-bit systems, Mm -hmm. and he's gone all the way to modern games consoles. But also what he's doing is he's doing a lot of these demakes that we've been talking about, which is old-school retro games and kind of shoving them on low-rend systems. Yeah, yeah. he did for the ZX81, Dragon's Lair. <laughs> and he's actually got the Guinness World Record for the biggest game for the ZX81. Dragon's Lair. So even, that was like a Laserdisc game, wasn't it? it was yeah, massive, yeah. yeah. Well, he had to invent a video player yeah. to play Dragon's Lair on the <laughs> machines. And this is a guy, you know, even even back in the old days, stuff like Doom on the Sega Saturn he did, didn't he? Um, yeah, yeah. He's done lots of ports. He's also mm-hmm. worked on a lot of systems that people really ignored over the time, like the okay. Amstrad CPC, mm-hmm. because no one else is doing it. So Jim stepped up. Yeah, it should be interesting. He's going to be on the show in around 35 minutes from now. Uh, before that then, into this week's big stories in Ravi, and this is finally something we've been waiting for for, what, about a year now? Yeah, for a long time. <laughs> I think a lot of Amiga heads and also PlayStation 4 people have just yeah. been waiting because it's been massively And I am hyped. both. Yep. <laughs> and it's the uh, Shadow of the Beast remake. It actually gets a release date. When's it coming out then? 17th of May. Yeah, well, it's um, we first, I think, was it last year, the year before that this first got announced? I think it's been about two, three years that yeah. it's been going on. Well, this is, um, it's a PS4 exclusive, isn't it? So, I mean, anyone that loves Shadow of the Beast, I think the Amiga was probably the main platform that it was on. Um, but it fe- apparently features 60 frames a second. It's a full HD upgrade. And it's a PS4 exclusive as well. Um, and I think our buddy Echo, he's done the music for it, hasn't he? Yeah, um, yeah. This this should be epic because they've had no music in any of the trailers yet. So mm-hmm. I'm really interested to see because David Whittaker did the old soundtrack. Yeah. And it was just beautiful, you know. Yeah, so uh, we'll keep you posted on that. And uh, links will be in the show notes that you can get every week from our website, theretrohour.com. Now, we've mentioned a couple of, the, a couple of these kind of um, pixel art books okay. on the show in the past. And uh, there's a new crowdfunder that's just started for... The Little Book of ZX Spectrum Games. Sounds nice. This is Chris Wilkins. He's got to do the Commodore 64 book a while back. I think he did like an Ocean Software one as well. Ah, okay. So uh, this is essentially that. I mean, these are really good coffee table books. It's just a um, lot of old art from your favorite games blown up, kind of in that retro gamer magazine style where everything's kind of, you know, enhanced so it looks really blocky on the pages. And it'll and bring I, back a lot of memories looking through them as well. I think the Specky games had a certain look as well. Because it was always a black background with, like, you know, Neon as well, colours. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah I used so. to love the look of Spectrum games. You know, you see them on the back of um, 
like screenshots on the back of games and stuff like that. I never, I had a Spectrum for about five minutes and I blew it up. <laughs> that's my uh, that's my previous with the Spectrum, I'm afraid. Uh, my mum got me one for free off a friend um, at work and I plugged the wrong power supply into it and fried it. Oh dear. Um, <laughs> I was young and stupid. Uh, but yes, I've never really actually had a Spectrum apart from, I remember once when Amiga Computing Magazine gave away a floppy disk and it had... Um, a Spectrum emulator for the Amiga on there. Ah. And it had, um, it was like a Batman, like 3D kind of isometric game. Okay. I think it was actually quite a famous Spectrum game and that came included on the disc. So I did used to play a few of the Spectrum games on that. But yeah, I mean, you're right. I've always quite liked the, the graphical style of the Spectrum. It's. Um... I went to um, my friend's house in Hull when I was mm. younger and he actually had a Spectrum. And I thought, oh, this is, you know, old school. These graphics are rubbish. But he showed me some of the games. Uh, yeah. How to Be a Complete Bastard was one, yeah. which was uh, really <laughs> Monty good. Python, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, Escape from Colditz as well. And all these games had really good personality. So, you know, they were still worth playing then. Yeah, yeah. And they still are. I think the Spectrum is quintessentially a British system, though, isn't it? And it's, yeah. uh, you know, I, th- I think this is really cool, though, as well. I mean, even looking at the cover of, um, you know, these proposed covers that he's got here. He needs to raise money for this. So um, it's on our fusion funding at the moment. And, you know, based on his previous successes with the 64 and the Ocean book, I'm sure he'll reach his target in no time at all. Um, but just having that, you know, the Sinclair stripe there and the the old logo, it makes you nostalgic, even as someone that didn't really own that platform back then. Just seeing it does take me back, though. Yeah, it's it's a nice little platform. And I think uh, Jim will be telling us a lot about the spec here as well, because I think it's one of his faves. Yeah, so if it's one of your favourite platforms as well, the story of the Sinclair ZX Spectrum in Pixels is the name of this book, and we'll uh, we'll drop you the links if you May- want to. Maybe you could it. get your uh, Spectrum Vega Plus and just have it sitting on top of the book at the coffee table when that comes <laughs> out. It could look really Ultimate nice. hipster. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's a platform that we've not covered on the show before, the, the Apple II. The Apple II, yes. So hundreds of lost Apple II games have been added to mm-hmm. the Internet Archive, which is archive.org yeah one of our favourite websites totally totally and I don't know if you know that cracking games kind of started on the Apple II mm-hmm. that, that, that was one of the first formats that they were cracking on so there must be a lot of these games now they said they're not sure about the legal aspects of this game <laughs> that's they, archive.org all over though isn't it yeah they, they, <laughs> they uh, just said he's just chucked the collection up yeah. trying to avoid copyright but uh, there's lots of lost games here okay you know and obscure titles, because they're saying usually when you get a games collection or a, a, a bunch of games from someone, it's the same titles that everyone's had that's yeah, mass-produced. Yeah. But this has some really rare ones that haven't been in there. Well, they've got 637 um, titles, apparently. And uh, graphically, I mean, the screenshots on here as well, these are kind of cool. I didn't realise that the Apple II was actually um, graphically quite as good as these screenshots would suggest. Yeah, so it came yeah. Out in 77 it came out. I mean, you're talking five years before the Commodore 64. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, these title screens are really nice. And... Yeah. Was that one here? Mystery of the Witch's Shoes. That looks pretty cool. <laughs> that's one along. But the guy that's done this, he's uh, a guy called 4AM. That's his handle, which um, you kind of get this, uh, <laughs> creates this mental image of this hacker there at four o'clock in the morning, getting his <laughs> Apple II discs and uh, archiving them all. So. Well, well, what they're saying as well is, because it's on Internet Archive, mm-hmm. it's playable. So yeah. you can play it in your browser. Yeah. Ironically, you can't play it in Safari. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, okay. so you can't play your old <laughs> Mac games on the new Mac browser. What has happened? Steve Wozniak will be pissed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the Apple II, I, the one thing I always remember about the Apple II is, do you remember there was a, there was a disc that I think everybody had at school? The Jolly Rogers cookbook. Oh, yes. That was actually the first digitized piece of literature. Oh, really? So the first okay. ever put online on BBSs. Mm-hmm was they thought, right, we've got copyright issues, we've got copyright, this is never going to get published. Mm-hmm. Or, well, it was published, but let's spread it to everyone. So they uploaded the Jolly Roger, just to be controversial, I think. Yeah. Well, it was the Anarchist Cookbook, it was called as well, yeah, I think, wasn't yeah. it? But I remember, because I... All my friends at school had it with always, you know, copy the discs and stuff, yeah. just because you felt like, a, you know... In I think there was lots of versions as well. There was, like... The Book of Mischief, there was there was hundreds of yeah. them. And you can actually get them all if you go onto uh, I think uh, on that text files, aren't the text website? Files. Yeah. Com, yeah. But I think I remember the Amiga version of that, you'd load it up and there'd be like a little kind of readme at the beginning. Yeah. And it said all of these articles are typed on an Apple II. That's why they're all in the uppercase. 
Oh, the whole, everything okay. was like, you know, capital letters. So that's my first introduction to the Apple II when I was a kid, like reading. Uh, <laughs> so that's an interesting platform. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do remember Jolly Rogers there. No one ever tried any of the stuff in there, though, because you needed the most obscure things, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you'd probably get arrested now if you actually looked at it. I don't know. If, it's, yeah, I haven't got the copy of the disc anymore, honestly. It's strange, because <laughs> it's, a, it's a piece of internet history and it's yeah. a piece of cultural history that was shared completely. But, you mm-hmm. know, after... Um, columbine and that kind of yeah, stuff yeah. all of that culture mm-hmm. just got totally destroyed and you know can uh put you in prison for a long time so that anarchist kind of thing's <laughs> gone i think nowadays but even looking at like because I, I did look at it not long ago i found my disc again i put it in it still worked i remember they're talking about stuff like making um like floppy disc uh you know kind of you'd sprinkle the matchstick heads on a floppy disc yeah, um, yeah. Then you put they, it in a drive and it melt your disk drive and all that. All yeah. stuff you thought, you know, I'm going to try that at school, but yeah, obviously not. But there did. was also all the different plans for the early blue boxes. Yeah. For the early, They're interesting uh, to look at know. now. Yeah, it's uh, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak were using those guys, yeah. so it's not that <laughs> bad yeah. information. Well, I think a lot of that came from like Captain Crunch, you know, the guy who got the uh, the whistle tone. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, I think some of his articles and stuff are on this uh, collection. But then as if well. you also look at it, it's got a lot of further box designs mm-hmm. so beyond the blue box when they were creating white boxes yeah. uh, black ones all, all for different purposes yeah and it was all like you know hacking marbell and stuff like that yeah. talking about and things so historically it's an interesting read to look back on it you look back at it now for a completely different reason that you did when totally. you were a kid yeah. which is, you know, i feel all cool and like you know yeah hide yeah. this just from my mum but um so yeah that's kind of the culture that the apple two invented <laughs> you're not going to find that on archive yeah. but you know, the rest and, of and, you, and you won't find people telling you that that's the first digital book as well <laughs> Right then, VHS videos. Yeah, VHS videos are back and worth money. And worth money, man. <laughs> this is crazy. Check your like cupboards. So we're talking about there's uh, an article that's been published on. Um, it was in the Metro. I saw it in there, and it's on um, the money section of AOL.co.uk. Here we're looking at. So what it is? It's um, the publisher's list of the most valuable VHS videotapes. Who'd have thought the VHS tapes are worth anything these days? I guess I guess they're the ones that haven't been digitised yet. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, you know, the titles that were released and people are like, ah, there was only a few printed. Well, I'm looking through here. I can't say I've heard of any of these films. No, they all seem like very odd ones. Yeah. Like uh, Hitchhike to Hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you've got Hitchhike to Hell, that's worth £500. Um, the Curse of Death, that sounds nice, that's 700 quid. Uh, the Beast in Heat. <laughs> <laughs> the Beast in Heat. That's 1,200 quid yeah. if you've got a copy of that in your attic. And uh, Frankenstein's Castle of Freaks is the top one. Yeah, 1,500 pounds. Maybe these are for like, you know, like James Rolfe or like the horror film collector guys, you know, kind of really into these old school VHSs. They do sound it. They sound like boo movies, don't they? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've got some VHS tapes still, but it's stuff like um, Nutty Professor and... Uh, I found it, my girlfriend's got a copy of Raggy Dolls. Oh. On VHS, so. Well, I, I used to be into kung fu movies yeah. a lot, a lot of really hardcore kung fu movies, and quite a lot would be banned from the UK. And it wasn't; it was because they couldn't couldn't class it in certification because yeah. it was too extreme for other stuff. And you'd often get VHS copies of other versions import and stuff, like from so. Japan and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And Shogun Assassin was a massive one that eventually. The band got lifted and it got commercially released. But for years, everyone was swapping Shogun Assassin. It's, it kind of inspired Mortal Kombat. Oh, okay. Is that, yeah, I've yeah, seen the video like, about that you know, The look yeah, of Raiden yeah, yeah. and uh, Scorpio. But the, the best way to make a movie like, you know, a cult classic is to ban it, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's that's like, it. You know, you're going to get the press and everyone's yeah. going to want to see a banned movie. So, uh, yeah, if you want to check your attic for uh, any of these tapes that you may have lying around at home, um, unlikely due to the fact that we've never heard of them, but um, we'll pop a link to the full list in the show notes at theretrohour.com. Uh, getting back to the Spectrum, um, there have been a few new games out for the Spectrum recently. You know, I mentioned before about how the Spectrum's kind of got a bit of a personality and a sense of humour. Yeah, like school days and complete bastard. <laughs> well, check, check out this new title. It's called Husband Chores. <laughs> husband Chores. <laughs> so what this is, this is a husband simulator. Oh, God. Now, neither Ravi or I are married currently. No, um, we're not looking for husbands either. <laughs> <laughs> I will be a husband next year yeah. uh, as I'm getting married next October. Get um, some practice in, though. Yeah, well, looking at this, I'm, I'm not much to look forward to. So basically, you you play a typical husband who's been told by the wife he must keep the house clean. So you've got to run around, you've got to do stuff like cleaning the toilets, taking out the rubbish, um, stopping things piling up, waiting for the dustbin man to come. <laughs> so it basically is like a side-on view of this house. You've just got to run around and do all the chores while the wife nags you by the looks of and it. it so. And it gets more chaotic. Is there an actual nagging wife, or is she? Uh, I'm not sure, actually, looking <laughs> at this, so... 
it's typical Spectrum graphics. I'm sure it's uh, quite wacky. There seems to be a big Christmas tree in the background as well. So, um, But yeah, apparently this is written in assembly language as well in Z80. Oh, nice. So, um, so it would be pretty fast. But again, it's just, uh, I, I think there needs to be a wife version of this though as well. Totally. Yeah. Fetch me a beer. Totally, totally. Yeah. If Samantha's <laughs> listening, of course, I'm not like that. I'm scared now. <laughs> right, then next one. Super Mario Brothers with the Flappy Bird code injection. So this is... It's been spread a lot around the internet, but mm-hmm. I don't think people know exactly what it is. And it's absolutely insane what this guy's done. Basically, he's used glitches within the game. Okay, what is this within Super Mario World? Within Super Mario World to be able to inject the code. Now, he's put the code of Flappy Bird in, so the source code of how to play Flappy Bird. Mm-hmm. He's managed to do it, but the way that he does it is he's stuck a load of multi-taps in, taped right. down some of the buttons, and then... By doing glitches, he can move to certain coordinates on the map and fire shells at certain places. That will start to input the code, and he basically builds the game using glitches and Mario to the point that the whole Flappy Bird code is in there. Yeah. And suddenly Mario, the level, gets converted into Flappy Bird. So, yeah, when I first heard about this set, I mean, this is Super Mario World for the Super Nintendo, I mm-hmm. assumed it was just kind of, you know, he took the graphics from it and put it into Flappy Bird, but it's not then. It's a mod of the original code then. The original code, and he's wow, jumping okay. up precisely on the pixel spots yeah. to send in commands. <laughs> Dude, that's correct. Because, I mean, Flappy Bird anyway looks like graphics from Mario, doesn't it? You know, you've got kind of the pipes and stuff around you. Yeah. Um, so if you watch the video of it online... I'm watching um, it now, yeah. You get to around, he's on 33 seconds. Yeah. And it just drops, like he's inputted all the code in. Yeah. And the Mario wheel just goes, and suddenly the Flappy Bird code comes in. Yeah, and it's just at the pipes, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Inside of him. <laughs> and it's that's absolutely crazy. crazy. It, it looks perfect as well. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. There's just a bit of color mess up, and then that's yeah. about it. But they've started to use like kind of multi taps and stuff to inject stuff so they can make snake on Mario with Mario's yeah. head. it's cool just doing that though isn't it these games that you've loved all your life just being able to like mess around with them and manipulate them in that way yeah but you know this i've never seen this kind of code injection through glitches it's it's incredibly you have to be incredibly high skilled to do that now i thought this one was quite interesting it's always quite good to look back on uh, old systems and see how people reacted to them at the time i think and uh, mashable have compiled this list of computer reviews from the dawn of technology. So it's basically reviews of machines from 1975. So so when they just came out. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. And the first one here is a machine called the uh, the RGS-008A Microcomputer Kit. And this is a review from 1975. Um, (laughs) It sells for $375, making this one of the least expensive kits on the market. Wow. So that was from uh, Byte Magazine, which uh, is no longer around anymore, Byte Magazine, I don't think. But um, that was one of the kind of the, you know, the big American mags back then, I think. I think they might be online. Are they? Okay. And there's a user report of the PET, the Commodore PET, Ah. uh, 2001 from 1978. Um, the Commodore PET sells for $595 and includes keyboard, video display, cassette drive, and 4K of programmable memory. Have you ever used a Commodore PET before? I've never used one. I've seen them. The cool-looking machines. Yeah, they look really nice, but I'd, I'd be lost. I wouldn't know what to type We had in. one. We had one at school. Oh, nice. Now, I'm not, I'm not as old as I'm making myself out to sound here, <laughs> but um, I remember at my school in the library, you kind of went into this, um, this room near the, the library at school where, like, the you know, the library monitors and all that kind of hung out. And in there at the corner, they had loads of old crap that just put there. And there was a Commodore PET there. And I remember I said to the library monitor, being a complete nerd, I said, yo, can I come in at lunchtime and get that old computer working? And she's like, oh, I think we've got some discs and all that. So I did actually manage to get the machine up and running. Nice. And it added like Commodore Basic 7.0 or something like that on it. And it had like, I think it might have even been eight-inch floppy disks, like the really big ones. And... I'd loaded like a few old, it was just stuff like old spreadsheets and that from the late 70s. Yeah. But when I left school, that machine was still in there. And like, you know, like my school actually got demolished in about 2003. So I'm thinking now, you know, that computer's probably been thrown in a skip or something. But Well, they're pretty hardcore. It might have survived oh. underneath all the <laughs> yeah, rubble. Probably, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Um, there's also a review of the Hewlett Packard, the new personal computer. Um, the first ever Sinclair Research ZX80. Oh, and the Osborne one. This is great because I remember you were telling me about Usenet when yeah. they had the early remo- reviews of Usenet and they were like... The first mentions, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it can fit on your lap, the C64, and you know, this kind of... <laughs> <laughs> well, this year they got the first review of uh, Microsoft Windows as well and the review of the first Mac as well. Um, words they used, amazing and fun. 
But this is like, it's just good to look back on um, kind of how people reacted to things at the time. Because I think, you know, often stuff gets clouded a lot in this day and age by not only stuff that you've read in magazines over the years, but also stuff like YouTube reviews and that kind of thing. Mm. Often, you know, the opinion on something can change from what it was back then. Well, also companies can form the opinion, you know, they can force it. So, you mm. know, uh, the, the successful ones we hear about and the unsuccessful ones we don't. But they could have been better machines, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's, it's just who won and which one remains in the hearts of people. Yeah, the best know? machines very rarely win the war. Do no, they? <laughs> they don't. It's usually the cheapest or the kind of most available. Well, I remember there was um, there's a video on YouTube of like uh, an old BBC um, program, like the computer program or something it was called back in the early 80s. And I've seen the clip where he's got the Amiga 1000 there, the first Amiga, mm. and he's demoing it with the mouse and stuff and like, you know, showing like menus and things. And the fact that then, and that means people in Britain who, you know, the, the shows were all about like BBC micros and stuff before that. Yeah. And then introducing this massive new leap in technology, people must have been like, what the hell is that? You know what I mean? So. But then they would have gone out and bought the Amstrad because it was cheaper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or the spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> now, I thought this was quite an interesting little thread that I was looking at the other day. Um, your favourite hacker or computer movies? Oh, man. Favourite hacker or computer movies? I'd have to say the one is Freedom Downtime. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, the Kevin Mitnick documentary, yes. is it? Yeah. yeah, by 2600. Yeah, okay. What was that about? Like 90s, was it? Yeah, it was about the, the world's most notorious hacker, Kevin yeah. Mitnick. And uh, it was all about how they were basically gone completely overboard mm -hmm. when they'd arrested him. And they put him in solitary confinement. They said he'd start a nuclear war yeah, yeah. from using a payphone. I remember that, yeah. yeah. And, it was crazy uh, what happened to him. It was mad, but that's a really good movie because it kind of explains the whole story and just shows how the, the kind of, they're still doing it, the ridiculous treatment of hackers like mm -hmm. Neil McKinnon as well. He's, they're trying to extradite him at the moment. Yeah, and yeah. They, they still want to send some hackers to Guantanamo Bay. Which is not good, you know. Yeah, le leaking but, information. They don't like it, do they? No, um, no. no <laughs> but speaking of Kevin Mitnick as well, there's also the the dramatized version of it. Was it Takedown or something? Takedown, yeah. yeah which was uh, the book that it was ba a book that they'd wrote, and then they based a movie on it. I think though, didn't he try to sue them or something? He said like, "This is literally nothing, not even remotely what happened." Yeah, it was a total like <laughs> uh, dramatized but rubbish dramatization of it, you know. So I mean, actually watching it though, I thought it was an interesting film. But then when you learn like literally like. That's not how it happened. Yeah. It was all just the Hollywood version it's of like it. like Kevin Mitnick beating up people in alleyways. And stuff. <laughs> it's like, no, he was a big geek. He was just harmless. So if you want to get the uh, the actual look at how it happened, the documentary's yeah. the way to go, isn't it? And by the way, he's reformed. So you can check out, uh, I think it's mitnick.com. Yeah. And he runs a security consultancy company. Yeah, as now. a lot of the old hackers do. Yeah, yeah I mean, they're yeah. the best people to do it, I guess. Speaking of which, remember, you know, Hackers the Movie? Did you ever watch that back oh, in the old days? I, 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 <laughs> hackers the Movie, oh, yeah. Angelina Jolie did with that little like, kind of elfin look. Do you remember oh, the dude. Hackers the Movie website got hacked? Did it? Yeah, oh, no, and, no, the, and they changed that. all the um, pictures, so it was uh, Spice Girls. Oh, and no they way. also made them all bold. <laughs> <laughs> it was, and they were like they changed it to not real hackers and it was like, yeah. hackers of the movie it's like i know it's an awful film yeah but it is nostalgic of that kind of era of computers there's some ridiculous quotes in there what's like uh risk is going to change everything do you remember that one they're yeah. like tapping on the keyboard and stuff and hearing the specs of the machine and things and but it's uh, that kind of thing where you know they used to do this in movies all the time where you'd sit there and you'd enter the information superhighway and it'd be all these zooming graphics yeah, yeah. around. <laughs> but I guess, you know, if you just had a guy there typing into a DOS terminal, it wouldn't be the most yeah, exciting yeah, visual aspect, <laughs> would it? Yeah, eating pizza. <laughs> but Hackers, I think, the soundtrack on it's really good as well. It's got the first appearance of Wipeouts in there as well. Yeah, you know, when he's in yeah. the arcade and stuff. And it is, it is a ridiculous film, but I think it's just... And we, we can't we can't not mention War Games as oh, well. Oh, dude, yeah, absolutely. You know, if you haven't seen War Games, then go watch it now. <laughs> it's yeah. great. After and that, listening to us, of course. That's... <laughs> <laughs> well, War Games, it was one of those films when I was a kid. You'd watch it, and it's just that scene, isn't it, when he's in his bedroom and he, he changes his grades on the computer? Yeah, yeah. Every kid wanted to do that, didn't they? And the girl's like, change it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. And I love Gallagher, the game, after seeing it there. I always wanted yeah. to find Gallagher, and I find it in the seaside once. And, uh... Well, um, another thing is actually, I mentioned Ready Player One yeah. the other day, uh, which was this really good book that's just come out about old retro games. They've just announced that Steven Spielberg's going to be doing the movie. All right, okay. So it's going to be kind of Super 80 style. Mm -hmm. So we'll have a look out for that. 
Absolutely. Movie, a good movie. Another, do you remember The Net with Sandra Bullock? The Net, was that yeah. where they kind of harassed her? Yeah, and then they took her identity, didn't they? Oh, I love Sandra Bullock. Any film. Yeah, <laughs> it's worth watching for Sandra Bullock. Yeah. The film is good at the beginning. It's got kind of a bit where she's like this like lonely kind of technology hacker who's a bit socially awkward and... Yeah. And she goes on pizza.com, I remember. Okay. And it's like 1995 and orders a pizza. <laughs> At the time, I was like, that looks ridiculous. Obviously, you can order Domino's now on your phone, can't you? Yeah. But um, yeah, that, there's a lot of those films, I think, from that era, just looking back at technology and you realise how far we've come on, how alien it looked back then and things that we take for granted and you can do every day well, now. Well, also The Matrix as well. But The Matrix Absolutely, yeah. uh, was kind of more out there. But it was based on Ghost in the Shell, yeah. which was another really good. Was that like a anime kind of? Anime manga yeah, one. Man- yeah, yeah. yeah. And there was um, Lawnmower Man as well. Yeah. Yeah, I always remember that virtual reality is going to be amazing, but um, yeah, we're not quite there yet. So yeah, there's a few suggestions if you're interested in uh, nerdy hacker movies. There's another one as well um, that I've mentioned, which is to do with the dot-com boom. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I was watching that on YouTube the other day, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a a look at what happened in around 2000, 2001, when it all kind of... Was it it what went wrong it was called, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah. yeah, what went wrong. And it was kind (laughs) of like, you know... Everyone got so excited when it came out, mm-hmm. uh, the internet. They were just chucking money at it. Yeah. You got quite a bit of a I did, yeah. Success, I had about three you? websites then, funding my way through university doing it, yeah. Yeah, that's it's yeah. crazy. And, you know, these people were just willing to chuck stuff at mm-hmm. them. And uh, then it all completely collapsed. It did go wrong, <laughs> yeah. Well, the big one I remember was um, Boo.com. Boo.com, okay. Yeah, they were in Carnaby Street in London. They were kind of the first, they were meant to be the first kind of a lot of people might remember the story. I think it was a BBC documentary done about them a few years ago. But, um, yeah, like you said, people, companies were just throwing money and they burnt through, I think, £185 million of investor um, money in about 12 months and then Jesus. spectacularly went bankrupt. It's actually, there's actually a book about it called Boohoo. <laughs> so I've got it at home. It's a really good read, actually, though, just seeing... Because all the staff were like late teens, early 20s. They'd never run a company before. They didn't, you know... Yeah, I yeah. They'd run no, a bookshop that or something. That was the thing. Was they all tried to start this thing, but the model wasn't there. The yeah. e-commerce model wasn't there, you know. Yeah. Amazon now, and nearly half the stuff bought online is down through Amazon. Yeah, yeah. But before, they were tiny, and everyone you was... Can, you can buy milk off Amazon now, can't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but some people actually thought Amazon wouldn't survive yeah. the uh, dot-com crash. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Well, there's just so many different online companies back then. But yeah, it's a really interesting documentary, though. It's about 45 minutes long, isn't it? It's on mm. YouTube. Um, so yeah, these are a few of our little suggestions. If you want some uh, watching material, we'll pop a few of these in the show notes. We'll have a look at theretrohour.com. And uh, before we get to Jim Bagley, then, um, we've still got a bit of face paint on today, haven't we? Oh, yeah, I've been washing it <laughs> off. My face hurts. But <laughs> some people have been asking, so we posted a picture on, um, on our Facebook page, didn't we? Of you and I, you're wearing a camouflage. Oh, yeah, uh, I, I just wear camouflage as normal. Yeah, you, you're wearing it anyway, <laughs> aren't you? Um, but we've been playing this new Amiga game. Now, we did talk about this when it first got announced back in January, didn't we? Um, tanks Furry, or Tank... We still don't know how to say it. Yeah, Tanks Furry, Tanks Furry, yeah. <laughs> so we've actually played it now, though. Yeah, it's really good. It I is. Think we can, and we're, we're going to shove a review on YouTube. Yeah, so we've been filming it this afternoon, um, just before we did the podcast, and... I've got to say, I think, you know, just to give my initial impressions of this game, um, for those that are not familiar with it at all, it is uh, an Amiga game that was made for, I think it was a demo competition last year. You can download it for free, or they do offer like a proper physical boxed copy of it that's very cheap, isn't it? It's like, what, £6 or something? Yeah, 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 uh, about eight Not very much at all. I've uh, got to give props to Marvin for sending us a copy. And think... sending us war paint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't go out and buy the war paint, don't worry, in the video and the pictures. Uh, yeah, thank you for that, Marvin. And... Uh, it is two-play gaming in its rawest form, isn't it? Yeah, it's sitting next to each other, shooting, you know, getting... Joysticks to, yeah, in hand yeah, on the couch. Great. That sounded wrong. <laughs> um, but it is uh, it is just, you know, it took you back to being a kid again. I think if that game was around when I was like 10, 12 years old... I would have caned it. I'd yeah, would have had all your mates around and be playing weird key combinations on the keyboard because you'd run out of control. Yeah, it's, poor, it's a poor-play game as well, yeah. isn't it? I mean, I think you need to have like some kind of parallel port hack to enable two of the joystick ports on the Amiga to play it, but we were on a two-play game before. Uh, Rabbi was on his zip stick and I was on my QJ joystick. Who won the game? Oh, you'll have to watch to find out that. <laughs> yeah, so we'll have, the video should be up actually at the time of uh, this podcast going out on Friday, so uh, we'll pop a link to that in the show notes and on Facebook as well, uh, or just search for Dan Wood on YouTube. You'll find me, top of the list. So it's just cool to have a new Amiga game in 2016 as well, though, isn't it? So, yeah, and for classic Amiga, because yeah, all these games recently are ports of Linux stuff that gets mm-hmm. put onto the new 
Amiga operating system, which yeah. I don't have. So mm. it's good to have the Not old one. Do. No. Um, but this is, yeah, it, it runs on like any Amiga with, I think it's 1.5 megabytes of RAM it's got to have and an O20. O20 processor, CBU. yeah. So um, like a cheap upgrade yeah. card or something. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, only you can get these, you know, we talked about the Vampire Accelerator the other week. That's only like 120 quid or you can get like, you know, one of the O30s. Isn't one that sells for like £55 for on the Amiga kit? Yeah, yeah. The so, O20 one, isn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You can buy a. Uh, upgrade later on as well to get it going faster yeah it unlocks yeah. it doesn't it yeah. but they're cool i mean I, th- I think if you are going to set up an amiga game system it's worth having a little bit of extra memory and a slightly faster yeah, cpu it, it needs that little extra kick to get the stuff out there yeah <laughs> or if you want to run like whd load instead of using disc you can run them all off your hard disk and then it's uh a little bit of extra ram does come in handy and uh and you can play tanks furry Yes, definitely. (laughs) Looking forward to uh, playing lots of new Amiga games as well. Yeah, well, I I think, you know, we're going to play at the end of the month. We should bring a little Amiga setup and uh, a little uh, Game of Tanks Furry there. Oh, it's going to be getting everyone (laughs) back to the hotel room, isn't it? (laughs) I'm in a Tanks Furry session. (laughs) (laughs) Right, guys, thank you so much for checking out episode 14 of The Retro Hour, which you can download every Friday from our website, theretrohour.com, on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, all over your favourite podcast clients. Yeah, Overcast, uh, Pocket Cast. Sunny day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we'll be back next Friday, and we will hand you up to this week's special guest, the Portmaster. Jim Bag. Getting um, a bit of background on you would be quite interesting. What first got you into games? Well, I used to enjoy playing games. And then when I went to high school, they had the BBC Model B and six sharp MZ80Ks, and they were, everyone would be like queuing up to play on the BBC. And then I'd, I'd realised that you, know, you can actually play as close to an arcade game as you can get on a home computer. And so I thought, well, if you can do that, then you must be able to program them. And so I thought, if I learn to program them, I'll be able to make my own games instead of like going to the arcade at the weekend and save you ten pences. I can save me ten pences and, and make my own games. I, I think the BBC Micro is probably responsible for um, a lot. A lot of kids getting interested in computers back then. Would you say? Yeah, well, it was in schools, wasn't it? So, what was your first machine at home then? ZX81. I used to write a load of basic programs for um, well, games. Well, it started the first programming that I did was on the Sharp MZ80K um, in school. The teacher was a, a maths teacher. Who they, they said, well, you know maths, you can teach computers. Obviously, couldn't. I ended up teaching myself faster than he could teach him and then teach the kids. So I, I was, like, way past him. So you um, kind of took over from him then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I carried on with my thirst for knowledge of you know, wanting to make games and so I'd be making my own games out of, instead of copying out of the books. I'd be you know, making my own stuff because I'd, I'd got to the point where I'd typed stuff out of the books and, and realised you know, what bits were doing what in the book. And then so I'd start making my own games on the um, on the Sharp MZ80K while I was waiting for my go on the BBC to play a game. You've obviously worked on loads of different systems. I mean, you know, from yeah. those early eight bit days to the modern era. Did you have, did you have a favourite machine of that era then? That it, kind of like the, your early days that you've got most affinity for? Um, have to be the Specky, wouldn't it? Did you get caught up much in the Commodore sixty four versus Spectrum War then? Not really. It was mainly Specky. Where we we were, we had a few people who loved the the sixty four, but there's never arguments of you know, ours is better, yours is better. It was just whatever friend's house we were at, whether it was mine or I was at theirs or whatever, if they had the 64, we played on the 64. If they had the Specky, we played on the Specky. If they had an Amstrad, we played on an Amstrad or whatever. So you uh, mentioned the Amstrad there as well. Um, yeah. You've done a lot of ports for the system. Uh, what do you think about it? I, I do actually quite like the Amstrad. It, it's sort of underrated because of the speed of it due to the size of the screen. When I was doing my ports, unfortunately, um, we were only porting to the Amstrad because I, I, I was saying, well, why aren't we doing an Amstrad version? And they said, well, go on then. So I ended up like being numbered with the Amstrad version and no artist to do it because they were busy getting the art ready for the next Spectrum game that I was doing. So it's kind uh, of a case of um, you did it because no one else was. Yeah, because I thought my Amstrad friends were, were missing out and so I 
did me bit for them. Do you think the Amstrad was an underrated platform? Yeah, because it, it was a nice machine. I, I, the sound was okay. I mean, it wasn't a, a SID chip, but then none of the others could beat the Commodore 64 sound back in the day. The colours were really good. I think I preferred the Amstrad colours range or colour range than the Commodore 64 ran Specky. So it had a nice, nice collection. Yeah, um, because I, I was uh, seeing that you'd also done a lot of uh, conversions of modern games. Well, not so modern, like Dragon's Lair for the ZX81. Yeah. And I was wondering, um, <laughs> one, one how do you do that? that? <laughs> yeah, well, the reason the, the ZX81 port of Dragon's Lair came out, back in 2012, when I did Pac-Manic Minor Man, which was Manic Minor for Pac-Man hardware. Then, if you saw any of that, yeah, it was on the um, yeah. Pac-Man board, wasn't it? The yeah, arcade. yeah, it was yeah. Played on the Pac-Man PCB. It just changed, uh, rewrote the ROMs to to play Manic Miner. Um, the reason I did that was I was searching the net for Pac-Man hints and tips, and I come across the the memory map for Pac-Man, and because I know Z80 and Inside Out, I thought I've got to make a a game for for Pac-Man hardware, because back in the 80s, I converted a load of arcade games to Specky and Amstrad, and I always wanted to make an arcade game back then. So obviously when, when the uh, fan Pac-Man memory map, I decided that I have to make a game for Pac-Man hardware so I can actually finally be childhood dream and make an arcade game. Like the holy grail that was, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it was. Once I'd finished that, it was like, well, what can I do now? And uh, obviously with having a, a love for all, all things retro, I decided that I'll do a ZX81 game because I used, when I, was, I had my ZX81, I only knew BASIC. It wasn't until I got a specy that I started, well, started doing machine code. So I never got to do any games for ZX81 in, in machine code. And so after doing Pac-Man at Man, Man I, I decided to do a ZX81 game. So I did um, Jim Bagley's ZX81 Racing which was a high-res game for the ZX81. And then after that, I was saying, I wonder, wonder what else I can do, because I wanted to do another game for the ZX81, because I quite enjoyed doing the, uh, the driving game. I was talking with Andy Spencer, who runs um, Retro Computer Museum, RCM, and they were saying, what shall I do next? He was like trying to come up with an idea, and I was saying, I wonder if we can play video on ZX81. <laughs> and he said, ah, don't be stupid. I said, if, if we can play video a bit and be able to do something like Dragon Slayer or something, he said, get out of it. Well, he didn't say that, but I don't want to say what he said. <laughs> slightly stronger, yeah? <laughs> yeah, slightly stronger. So I said, well, tell you what, give, give, me, give me a bit of time and I'll, I'll see if it can be done. I went offline for a bit, come back a bit later. So I, I sent him a copy of the, the image and he's like, oh my God. And then after that, I thought, right, I've got to convert the whole of the, all of the video for it and that. That took a while, and then I was originally using um, some free software to convert the video to black or white. Uh, I wasn't overly keen with the way it was coming out, whether it was the settings I was using on it or what, I didn't know. And I thought it'd be easier to just write my own, and then I can make make it do what kinds of things I want to do. So I spent the next month of evenings doing, well, trying different methods of getting a full screen, full colour cartoon sequence down to 128 by 96 in either black or white pixels. I know that everyone that's listening to this now is going to be like, how on earth is that even possible? I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how do you even store it in, in such a small memory space and stuff? Well, it was each frame of the image is 1.5K. Because the ZX81 has, to, has no real hardware help for actually drawing the screen to the TV. The Z80 has to do it. So the only time you've actually got control of the Z80 is when it's not in the screen time. Didn't even the screen blank when you're loading games and stuff, didn't it, on the ZX80? Yeah, 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 it used to. <laughs> um, but with the ZXpand cards that um, a good friend of mine, Charlie Robson, made, it gives you 32K of RAM and it also gives you access to an SD card. But... It gets the data off the SD card and feeds it to the ZX81 when you need it. Now you tell it to take a sec, load a sector, it'll go away and load a sector, leaving the Z80 to do whatever it needs to do to keep the screen active. Well, uh, one of the mad things that I saw was on your YouTube channel, you'd actually um, 
with the Dragon's Lair player showed yeah. video of like GTA Five and Call of Duty <laughs> yeah. and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just um, converted a couple of videos, a couple of random videos. To, it was what I was doing is I was I was when I was doing the um, video converter. Like when you when you're converting an image to black and white, it's not too bad because it's just a single image, so you get like a you know what color ranges or kind of settings you need to get it to convert it down to black or white but when it's a whole video it's a lot more complicated because scenes can change lighting can change colors can change do you ever think that when you were a kid if you saw the kind of stuff you can do now on this platform I know, it yeah. would have blown your mind <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is someone said to me um so if this is on a zx81 how many tapes would that be <laughs> and it, it it turns out it, if you used um, C90s, you'd have to have 74 C90s. My word. <laughs> Just a stack. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it wouldn't be very fast playing a video. <laughs> Yeah, I would like to wait for that loading on, time. On frame an hour, maybe. <laughs> it is insane, though, isn't it? And I think, you know, I, I've had discussions with people before. Do, do you think this is why you come back to real hardware over emulation? I think it probably is, you know. When you're emulating on a PC, the whole thing is different because most people who play emulate games on emulators are reminiscent from the childhood days when they played as when they were younger or whatever mm-hmm. so when you're playing it on like a pc keyboard and you're using a zx81 which didn't have a pc keyboard the feel that is different same with the specky the rubber keyboard it's a lot different to a to a pc keyboard and the, the commodore 64 keyboard that's a big clunky keyboard which is different to the pc keyboards now so it, it's it's all for to get the same feeling from every aspect of not just playing the game, but how you, your fingers like interacted with the keyboard and, and stuff like that. I've noticed recently as well there's been a, a bit of a resurgence in interest in the Spectrum. Have you seen kind of these new remakes of it that yeah, are coming the, out? The, the Vega, yeah. What, what, do you, what do you think of all that? I think they're ace. I quite like it. Um, I've got one myself as well. The fact that they've added the ULA Plus um, functionality to it makes it... Makes it um, more enjoyable because the fact that you can start making newer games with enhanced graphics for it as well, which is pretty cool. So I'll be doing some of them at some point further down the line. Yeah, because we've kind of noticed in our podcast a new market, which is a, a retro demakes. Yeah. And uh, I guess with these uh, Spectrum Vega Plus and stuff, there may start to be demakes coming onto that. Yeah. So well, apparently I've heard that um, some other people are doing a ULA Plus mod for old speckies so you'd be able to upgrade your specky to have the the new ula chip that allows the extra colors and stuff so uh, yeah. another more kind of modern title that you did was a uh, doom for the sega saturn can you yeah. tell us about that yeah it was, it was about 21 years ago now yeah not that modern <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> basically i used to play um doom a lot in lunch hour and after work with the rest of the guys in the office, one day Paul Finnegan, the boss, came in and said, um, "Jim, you know you like playing Doom." I said, "Yeah." I said, "Do you fancy converting it to the Saturn?" I said, "Too right to do." So um, they got me uh, all the SDK and the hardware, and uh, got to work. Got to work porting Saturn, um, putting Doom to the Saturn, and um, I got it all running, full screen, full frame rate, and sent it off back off to ID for approval and it's like a demo for them to approve making sure that they're happy with the progress and stuff uh, about three days later i got a phone call back from um john carmack saying oh, i can't use the hardware to to render the the walls and stuff so you had so to like, do it in software rendering i had to be doing software rendering like the pc i was like why why are you doing this it's going to be slow so, no i don't like the no, i don't want you do, using the hardware it's got to be like the pc so, okay fair enough so anyway, I scrapped it and doing it. it wasn't anywhere near as fast as it would have been, but it wasn't too bad. We ended up porting the PSX version because it was, so we need to do something quick and then converted it, got it out. And then one, uh, two, possibly even three now, years ago, I went to Retro Revival in um, Wolverhampton. We were probably there at the same time. Very, very possibly, because that was on where um, John Romero. Yeah, yeah. Was and um, so yeah, we built up in there at the same time and caught up to John because we, we were both doing talks and stuff, so we never got a chance to actually talk to each other. But 
I made sure I said no, and I, I need to ask you a few questions. I need to talk to you about Doom on the Saturn. Mm. And um, is there any chance we can like have lunch together? So I said, yeah, sure. We're only supposed to have like about half an hour, forty-five minute lunch break. We ended up chatting for about an hour and a half, <laughs> and uh, extended our our lunch and went into the, the time we should have been doing our talks. But um, yeah, it was, I had a great chat with him. He's a lovely bloke, mm-hmm. really nice. And um, I said to him, it's been 19 years since I wrote Doom. One thing I've always wanted to know was, why did you kneecap it? Why did you not let me use the 3D hardware, you know, considering I had it running full screen, full frame rate? John says it, he was the person who was doing all the um, approvals for, for Doom. And when it was time for the Saturn Doom approval... He was on a holiday that week and John Carmack taken over and done the approval and obviously denied it. But John Romero said if he'd have seen it running full screen, full frame rate, he'd have told me to finish it off and when I finished, go back and put the PC, brought it back to the PC. No way. It was, it was nice to have that like closure at the end of it, but it was like, it was also gutting because I was, I was think, constantly thinking, well, how, how much would the, uh, would it have Things have changed. You know, if, it, if it had come out, it being the way it was going to be. How did you feel when you saw the reviews after the game came out? To be honest, really, it wasn't it wasn't the fastest version of Doom that was out there. But for what we had to play with, as as good as the uh, the Saturn could could get, I reckon. You know, you mentioned then like events like Revival and that kind of thing. Do you think yeah. there's been a, a resurgence in the interest in uh, in these re- retro platforms over the last few years? Where, where, yeah. Where, where do you think? Where do you think it's come from? I don't know. The, the, the first one I went to was um, bike back in 2009. Mm-hmm. I met quite a lot of friends, you know, good friends there. Um, funnily enough, it was in the queue waiting for um, food because uh, there was only one woman saving and she was saving one at a time. So the queue, as you can imagine, was massive. But that ended up being probably one of the best things about that event because it forged so many friendships. So are you uh, planning on going to the Play Blackpool event? Well, I, I, they've, they've asked me to do a Q&A on the um, Guinness Record thing with the um, Dragon's Lair. So yeah, I'll be going to the... I go to all the Play events anyway. So how did you actually get the uh, Guinness Record officially authorised then? Did they have um, to come down and check it? Or? When I was doing Dragon's Lair, I hadn't thought about it being a world record that I was going to be doing when I did it. I got my daughter interested in 2012 and she's had all the books, both the gaming one and the the, you know, the normal Guinness World Record book since 2012. And um, she always said, like, wouldn't it be great to get into the Guinness Book of Records? I'd love to be in the Guinness Book of Records, but I'm, I'm not the strongest woman in the world or not the fastest woman in the world. So I, I'd, I'd say to her, like, well, you don't have to be the, the fastest or the strongest. You just have to think of something that hasn't had a record done before. So anyway, and then get gets to doing the Dragon's Lair, and someone mentioned, I don't know, I think it was on Facebook, that it's got to be the biggest game now for the ZX81. And it, it just clicked. It's like, yeah, I, I need to show my daughter that, you know, get the record for it. Get myself into the record box. It'll prove to her that you don't have to be, like, the biggest, strongest person or the fastest person to do anything, to get in there. You just need to do something different so um applied for the record and sometime later after back and forth and on deciding they had to like um come up with a, a measurement what it is that somebody has to do to in order to beat this record did someone hold it already did they no okay i said it's the largest game for the zx81 because the the largest one that i know of before this was 48k and obviously at 15 meg i've got it beats somewhat <laughs> What was your daughter's reaction then when you got in? Oh, she's absolutely amazed. Well buzzing about it. She can't wait to get the uh, the book to see me in it. Oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get a copy of that one. The uh, Gaming Guinness Book of Records, yeah. is it? Yeah, yeah. sounds exciting. Yeah. So what are you working on at the moment then? Game-wise, um, I'm working on Bomb Jack for the Vetrex. Right, okay. Interesting platform. Wow, for the Vetrex <laughs> as well. Yeah. <laughs> Ravi was telling a story that apparently engineers panic whenever uh, Vectrex come to like retro conventions because all yeah. the power suddenly saps from the room. I know, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, a, a friend of mine when I was at school had a Vectrex and I liked it. And I also liked the Star Wars cabinet because I used to have one at 
at one point. And um, so I always liked the idea of being able to uh, want to do, as well as wanting to do an arcade game, but wanting to do uh, a vector game on uh, vector TV, just because it's, it's different to, to the way the normal raster TVs work. It always had a beautiful look, I think, the vector. It did, didn't it, yeah. yeah. So like I say I wanted to make it. And so after doing Dragon's Lair, I did Dragon's Lair for the Acorn Atom as well. And then I thought I'd best leave Dragon's Lair for a bit now because I don't want, like, don't want to be pushing me luck with yeah, putting too many versions of Dragon's Lair out. <laughs> so I decided what to do next. And then Vetrex, yeah, it's got to be that. It was seen at the um, one of the shows and I thought, yeah, that's, that's the next challenge. I, I don't really need to get back and finish off Double Dragon, but I've, I've got so many things that I need to do first. Are you kind of attracted to these kind of more obscure platforms then? Yeah, I think it's it's more it's it's going back and and doing stuff that I didn't get to back in the day. Mm-hmm. Like I never got to program the the Vetrex or ZX eighty one. I didn't get to do any machine code on the ZX eighty one. I didn't get to do like an arcade game, but I've done that now. I suppose it is just the tying up loose ends. Maybe I don't know. Do, doing the old stuff that that were always there in the back of my mind that I wanted to do, but never actually was able to now now i am able to we know from the reaction jim that obviously you know the community and all all of the fans of these systems you know just love seeing your work as well so that that must be quite yeah. a buzz when you yeah it's amazing uh, it's weird i've got just the fact of having fans it it's mind-blowing um it's great the fact that you know they, they love me work i mean i making the games i make it so it's i try and make them as playable as possible and they are games after all and, and games are supposed to be playable when I'm making the games, I have that in mind that it needs to be fun to play, and, and the fact that, like, say, I've got I've got a, a fan base that do enjoy it. It's it's quite heartwarming, even that they're all there and you know, egging me on and you know, happy for me when I do get things like Guinness World Record and, and stuff like that. And it was weird. I was I was out at a club. The music guy at work's a DJ, and um, on Friday he he was playing in Liverpool and so I went over to see him I was just sitting there these three guys came over and one goes you look awfully familiar you look like that French rugby player (laughs) (laughs) okay fair enough and uh, I said sorry I don't don't follow rugby so I I haven't got a clue who you're talking about so he got his phone out and uh, googled French rugby player and it showed a picture of like this big guy with like long long hair and said oh yeah he's got long hair hasn't he yeah <laughs> I can see the resemblance and um, so anyway the the guy the other guy that was with him says I know you do look like and he said so I said who he said have you seen a video called uh, a movie called um, Bedrooms to Billions I said yeah now that is me <laughs> no way. I was I was in that and all, all three of them the faces lit up really oh, can we have a photo with you and, uh, so end up chatting for like the next 20-30 minutes about games and stuff. It was good. And that was the first time outside a computer events like you know, Play and um, Retro Revival that I'd been recognised. Must have been surreal, though. <laughs> it was. It, it was very surreal. But it was nice, huh? Well, Jim, it's been amazing talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week. It's yeah. been great to get your story. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, yeah. and hopefully we'll bump into you at Play Expo. Look out so, for yeah, that. that'd be nice, yeah. Look, look out for us. Look out for the French rugby player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot then, Jim. Yeah, Thank no you. worries.